Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodi. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, wishing you well this day. And this has been a show that I've had um, in queue for quite a while. And I've been excited um, to learn more about esports in schools, in high schools, and at the college level. And you know, I teach university classes, and this fall at the university, when I was going, to teach my class, I walked by the eSports um, arena that's on campus and I, I peered through the window and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And there were signs up, you know, if you're interested, here's the, the number to text. And, and I'm like, wow, I'm interested, but um, I'm not enrolled here. I just teach here. So, um, but this is, this is fascinating um, content because when I when I addressed it with new superintendents, for some of them, it was the first time that they heard about it. So on today's show, I have uh, Mike Dolly as my guest, and I'm going to bring Mike in right now. So, oh my goodness, Mike, welcome, buddy. Howdy. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, Mike uh, comes to us from also the great state here of Wisconsin, where I'm at. And I don't know about you, Mike, but the snow was melting uh, today. So... <laughs> Yeah, unfortunate. I saw saw my dreams of ice fishing by Christmas go away pretty fast. Right. Yeah. So we have an ice fishing team here um, at our high school. We talk about esports team, but we have yeah at, at Portage High School there is a competitive ice fishing team, and and they go on the lake, which is in walking distance of my house here. So uh, so yeah, go Portage with that ice fishing team. So I think it's really awesome. I'm, when I was a kid, we didn't we didn't do that. So. Um, so I, let me let me just read the the first uh, paragraph that I put together for for the blog post that will go with this uh, go with this interview. So record numbers of youth participate in esports, and it's not the trope of gamer kids isolated in their basements, chopping on chips, sipping sodas while gaming online with other kids. In this episode, esports expert. Mike Dolly will help to inform us about school esports, including how it's in person and team centric, ways esports hones skills for learning, and how esports helps students consider STEM career paths. In, in fact, universities offer scholarships for esports athletes. So, Mike, about Mike Dolly. So, Mike is the business teacher at Elkhorn High School and president of the Wisconsin High School Esports Association. I do have the link as the post-it chat. So it's wihsea.org. So you can find information if your school is considering starting an esports program. Um, it's it's all there. Contact with uh, how, to, how to go about that. So very uh, useful site. I used it in my classes. Mike was a second year teacher when he learned 
how far PC gaming had come since his younger gaming days when a student gave a presentation on the League of Legends World Championship. Ever since that presentation, his interest in esports has grown exponentially. He started one of the first state associations that has since grown to 125, and that number changes daily. Schools around the state serves as a member for the Milwaukee Esports Alliance, serves as a board member for the Interstate Scholastic Esports Alliance, and is constantly trying to push esports to the next level in the state of Wisconsin. Mike, did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. I that sounds like I'm like a Game of Thrones character with all those titles and accolades that I got going. So I think you are, and you have that uh, coarse air headset, right? Is is that what's going on there? Uh, this these are just cheap old sades. They're like thirty bucks. They work just fine for me. All right, so Mike helped me pick out this uh, HyperX um, headset, uh, which is somewhat popular with gamers, and I tend to like it very, very much. So. Um, so let's let's talk about um, first of all. Um, let, let's we're going to talk about a few things uh, specific to esports. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through board of education policy. What does that look like for esports? Is it an individual sport? Are kids at home or are they together as a group? What are the most popular esports? Um, are esports accessible to students with disabilities? There's going to be some really interesting takes on this. Um, are esports um, how, how about 3D printing and esports like Thingiverse? If you go into Thingiverse and, and you're looking for controllers, um, a friend of mine uh, texted me, and he was in Germany um, participating in an esports event, and he said, "Here's he was making custom controllers." He was uh, Dr. Phil Heinrich was sending me some photos. I'm going to include them in the blog post. Benefits of esports for students. We're going to also learn. Um, you know that well. One is we know that students that participate in some level of sports are have better attendance, uh, better academic performance. So we're going to to um, broaden that. Do schools give credit? So if you play esports, can you get a varsity letter for that, or do you get academic credit if you're working on the IT or development side of the marketing for esports, things like that? Are esports part of traditional state athletic organizations? How do schools fund esports? And that's one thing. How much is it really expensive? Like, is it thousands of dollars to fund this? And, and how have some schools gone about that? Or is is that a, a, a myth? Is, is that a, a barrier that actually um, doesn't exist? Um, and post-high school opportunities. And then we're going to wrap up with, if you're a school board, right? Or if you're a principal, what should you know about this if a parent, you know, shows up at a school board meeting and says, Hey, the neighboring district is offering esports to students, and we don't offer it. And I'd like us to consider this. So, what are what are some things that, if you're going to go down that road of of considering an esports team for your school, um, what 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 do you need to consider from IT to student privacy and and things like that? So, um, let's start with Board of Education policy. Um, so, Mike, what is what's been your experience with um, do boards of education put together? A policy for this, um, or sometimes is there a policy that prevents esports from coming into a district, or kind of where does that interface happen? Um, so it really does vary from district to district um, as far as which boards will approve of some of this material. Uh, I've been pretty lucky um, when I taught at Arrowhead; the the board was pretty open. Um, as long as it wasn't an M-rated title, we were pretty much approved to play whatever that we wanted. 
Um, if we did do M rated, we'd have to get into like permission slips and calling parents and getting them in order to approve that their students in the room and that stuff is being played. Uh, but for the most part, they were okay with creating an after school club that connected students to not only me as a teacher, but connected relevant coursework to whatever that they're doing for fun. Um, and just be able to create a community on the campus for the students to participate. Um, while I've been at Elkhorn for the last three years, uh, the mentality has really just been like, uh, there's college opportunities for these games, then yes, you may run them. And I've received no, no barriers uh, for whatever title that we wanted. Uh, my school board and, and superintendent have been absolutely incredible in supporting our program. Um, with additional equipment, allowing us to, to travel to, to tournaments if we need to, um, and even allowing us uh, opportunities to raise funds for our program too. So it really varies from district to district. Um, there's been some others that are, are very conservative, and, and I know we were kind of talking before this, but right. there are some that if there's any, any weaponry associated with the game that they are not okay with it. Um, there's been even schools that are not okay with Smash Brothers, and that's you know Super Mario beating up Pikachu, right? Uh, and and Nintendo is the most family friendly system that there is, and they won't make anything that's violent. And so it's just kind of kind of crazy that there are some that are like, nope, absolutely not, no matter what. So you get you get uh, all over the place. So so Mike, that was something I learned this fall. Um, so I asked the aspiring superintendents in my classes. You know, how many had esports in their schools? About a third said yes. How many were aware of esports and, you know, maybe considering it? About a third. And then a third, it wasn't on the radar. They didn't even know that this existed in the state. Um, but as we dug into things a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a few would say, you know, we considered it, but because of, right, a cartoonish gun or violence of, you know, Super Smash Brothers, right? Um, of perceiving that, of saying it, it doesn't align with our school policy or our school policies for, um, you know, that our schools will be safe, nonviolent, or you know, no weapons, and and so in my position was okay. I understand that, but you know, one of the districts also had a skeet shooting team, and I said, well, you know, um, which I think is great. Skeet shooting has increased from uh, in three states five years ago to now thirty four states as of this year, and and yeah, but. I look at that and said, you know, part of it is a school policy is not meant to be static. It's meant to be adaptable. And in this case, you know, I encourage those um, aspiring superintendents to go back and to really, you know, talk with schools that have esports. And if they had a, a board of education policy that inter interfered with that, um, how did they overcome that? Because I, I think the, the benefits far outweigh, um, again, some sticking point in a, in a policy. Um, so here's here's a here's a common I think misperception on esports and it's come up already in the chat. So let me find the the chat. So um, we had a it was Corey Slater who brought up a a question here and Corey's a regular in the show. Um, so well, as I as I try to find it, so Corey was asking or he was commenting and saying, you know, esports. Um, kids playing video games, right? And and that is the the perception of it. Um, so, right here, and and this is respect to Corey. Corey again is is a is a regular to his show, uh, a very thoughtful a thoughtful person. But um, but I think this is this is the uh, 
Right. This is this is probably the number one stereotype that esports has to address. Uh, people will will say, "Oh, those are their kids playing video games, right?" And they're downstairs in their basement, and they're all logged on uh, network in their you know bag of chips and Mountain Dew, and they're playing. And and it as you were sharing with me, you know, parents dropping off monitors, kids being in school all together you know, playing till six o'clock at night on a Friday. Um, it's really far from that trope, right? Of, of how esports, I think, um, is, is portrayed or stereotypes. So how, how do you help schools when that is, you come up with that probably right away, right? People saying, oh my goodness. So I, I think it's been fascinating because again, there have been so many different schools that have approached this problem from a different perspective. Um, we have some the that their students are required to go to the gym two to three times a week and do just general body lifts um, to where they're doing like wall sits and like basic benches. Like they're, they're not trying to do anything crazy, crazy, but they're still physically involved down in the gym. Um, we have some that are doing yoga and stretching activities together. We have some that work through guided meditation uh, in between games, even something as simple as being able to control your breathing during a stressful situation um, are all different strategies that we use in traditional athletics the same way that we do even in the classroom uh, during stress management times. Um, and esports is another way that we can go ahead and help them utilize those skills as well that we use in other areas too. Um, We've even had some that um, they essentially have what they deem to be a team nutritionist, that instead of them going out and buying Mountain Dews and Doritos and whatever else they come back from the gas station with before our matches, they actually have somebody that they work with, like the culinary department, and they make like home homemade granola bars, or they at least have fresh, fresh fruits and veggies available um, for them before they play their match or some sort of healthy alternative um, in order to help keep their brain sharp um, during, before, during, and after their game. So I think there's a lot of different ways that these programs can say like, yeah, while they may not be out running around and scraping their knees and, and getting in, in this like contact stuff, it doesn't mean that they can't be gaining valuable life skills to improve their mental and physical health. Yeah, I'm, you know, the, I, I think there are, you know, if we look at clubs in general, right, and, and different activities in schools, um, you know, there are a number which don't involve, um, you know, so, so for example, if you're part of um, uh, FBLA or if you're part of some other club, right, these are, are not including this, um, this physical fitness type component to it. So I, I think that's, that's a keen, that's a keen point. Um, so am I am I accurate? Just so people, when they think about esports, um, I mentioned this to a few people, and they said, "Oh, so they're like playing Madden 2021." And I'm like, "I'm not sure that's what's happening. I'm not sure they're playing Madden 2021." Like, you know. So if 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 I'm accurate, it's um, Super Smash Brothers, Rocket League, Fortnite, Valorant, and League of Legends. And could you talk a little bit about like what those entail? Like what those those games? What what's the goal of those? Is it so the, the six titles that we run, uh, Smash Brothers, it's a standard like fighting game um, to where there's platforms uh, and stages and each player gets three stocks or lives. Um, and you just try to get to the point to where you eliminate the other player three times to win the match. 
Um, you, you can pick from like 91 different characters from a lot of different Nintendo titles that they've owned throughout the years. You can play as Donkey Kong, Bowser, uh, Pikachu, Jigglypuff, uh, Kirby, Samus, like you, you pretty much name it and you can probably pull it from an old Nintendo title. Um, and it's a lot of like uh, hand-eye coordination, knowing like how to put combos together and timing. And and my students know all the intricate details of every single character to where like, oh, that's a two frame. So if you hit it at this right time, it automatically kills or that's that's true. And, and it eliminates them no matter what. And like you can counter this and and like there's so much data that's behind all of this. And And I have. I have five players that can talk for hours on end just about understanding the, the analytics of the game. Um, and then you have uh, Smite and League of Legends, and they're both called MOBAs. That's uh, Massive Online Battle Arenas. And that's where each each team picks five players. Uh, and Smite, they're gods. They actually play off of the Roman, Japanese, Chinese, um, and Celtic gods and deities that are associated with that mythology. And you can actually control them in the game. And the object is essentially to destroy the enemy team base by using your your skills and abilities, as well as like coordinating as a team and rotating around the map and taking neutral objectives and holding points and and um, essentially just trying to to gain an an advantage until you ultimately win the game. Um, Rocket League is super easy for everybody to understand, especially with the World Cup going on now. Okay. It is it is 3v3 soccer. Oh, okay. With cars that can fly in the air with jetpacks. Oh, my that's, goodness. That's the only twist. That is um, awesome. But that's that's the simplest game. It's usually the one that we encourage that most schools, especially at the middle school level, usually start with because it's E for everyone. Um, there's no questionable content unless you think soccer is questionable. Um then you got Fortnite, which I think most of us are familiar with the 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 uh, when Fortnite took over all of our schools, um, and we were trying to figure out sure. what to, what to do with it, and most of us were trying to prevent it. Um, but now it's being used in the classroom. There's actually a ton of curriculum that's been developed by Epic Games um, using the Unreal Engine and Unity, um, the di the different uh, game engines in order to build the games. And now you can get into uh, tons of like Rube Goldberg machines and oh, yeah. like, builder creations to where like kids will build like models to scale of the, like the empire state building and all these other crazy things like they do in Minecraft. Yes. It's just like, it's just, how are we able to now leverage this in a different sense? So as you mentioned, Minecraft, when my daughters were in elementary school, they were each issued a Minecraft account through the school. And I remember, you know, they would build, and, and my oldest daughter had a note, a notepad, a three ring, um, you know, binder. And, and, and inside she would put all these steps and she would build these cities and, and these things. And it was amazing. I still have some pictures because, um, you know, she'd bring it up on the screen. I'd be like, take a screenshot of that because, well, here's a place. And I'm like, can you put this? And okay, the floor has to be made out of this. And then Volcano comes over here and then this, but, but it was, it was amazing. And the depth then she got into journaling what she was creating so it, can be, it could be reproduced in the future. And I, I was just like, wow, right in the school, you know, had accounts. And even yes. the Department of Education um, works with a national competition to where they have um, like Earth Day competitions to where they've, they give the students a pre-built world. 
and they actually have to try to solve some of the issues that are impacting the Minecraft environment um, by using the resources that they've been given. Um, and it's just a means in order to try to simulate what they may see impacting their own environment and how they can use Minecraft as that tool. Um, so Minecraft is awesome too. That's another great one that if you can get down, I'm sure many are using it in the elementary and middle school level, but there's a lot of curriculum available for that one too. Um, and then the last one that we offer is probably going to be the, the, I hate to say it, but the most controversial one of them all because it uses semi-realistic guns. Um, even though it's T for teen, um, Valorant is a five on five, kind of similar uh, to Overwatch to where you have skills and abilities in order to um, hold down positions. But essentially your goal is to plant the spike um, and get the spike to detonate or eliminate the enemy team before they can defuse the spike. Um, and it's, it's just a game mode basically to where there's also an economy uh, built into the games to where if you get uh, multiple eliminations, you earn more currency in order to spend on the next round to improve equipment, buy side abilities, and, and, and help charge up your ultimate ability. But it requires a lot of teamwork and communication um, in order to make sure that your five end up being victorious for 13 rounds in order to win the game. Um, it is also the the most diverse population of gamers um, where it's about 40% of them identify as either LGBTQ plus people of color and even a large population of females are playing Valorant. So it is the most diverse game. About 40% of the player base identifies as something beyond just white males. Wow. Wow. This is, so what I'm bringing up is, is from the Valorant uh, website. So this is all, so this is what I'm showing is gameplay. Yep. Gameplay. Okay. All right. So, and I, I and again, I think this will be the one that we have the most pushback on, okay. um, but it, it will also mean that we just have to do more educating. Um, this is the title that a majority of colleges have added for this year. An overwhelming majority are offering and, and putting Valorant as probably the number two title, I think that they're looking to recruit for. Okay, so while we're while we're on that topic, um, let's let's talk about, um, and we'll come back to um, access with to you know students with disabilities. And but let's talk about this topic of colleges, right? Because I shared at the start when I was at Viterbo University this fall, I'm walking, you know, to my class and I'm like, holy smokes, like here's this phenomenal, I can see it through the glass, like, you know, the the, the eSports uh, center. And I don't think people are really aware of this, right? I mean, when I was showing the clips in my class of some of the colleges that are, are introducing eSports arenas or contracting with space to have eSports arenas, um, you know, you sent me the picture of, uh, of an arena where a competition was taking place. And I would say that sat, what, like eight or 10,000 people. Um, so what is, what does this look like now, not only high school, but at a collegiate level? Well, in the state of Wisconsin, where we kind of operate a little bit different. Um, but right now in the state, we have uh, Marion, Edgewood, Lakeland, Carthage, um, drawing a blank. I think those are the big ones that have scholarships available. 
Um, but I know every UW system has a club team at the very least. Um, not all of them are supported with dedicated facilities and faculty that oversee the program. Um, it does restrict and limit the, the number of collegiate competitions that they can compete in. Okay. But then if you look outside of the state here too, uh, we have Michigan Tech that has a top program in the country. Um, you look a little bit further south, NIU just announced a massive facility. Um, Illinois State announced a $5.6 million arena. Ohio State's got a multi-million dollar arena. Michigan Stack, uh, Michigan State, sorry, um, just uh, announced their first collegiate director. Um, they had over 650 applicants for this oh director, director wow. position. Um, most of the GLIAC conference all has teams. Um, they actually will be hosting their own conference esports finals um, for all of those schools in the GLIAC. Um, so, I mean, it's it's there. It's what students are doing. Um, and it's just starting to organize a little bit more here in the state of Wisconsin. Um, but if you look around the country, I mean, you got Northwoods in Michigan is a top five program across multiple titles. Okay. Um, Drury University is another top one. Um, Robert Morris, formerly um, down in the downtown Chicago, was the first one to actually offer uh, collegiate scholarships uh, for League of Legends. So it's it, it, it's just growing exponentially. And uh, there should be another, uh, they're working on this year's trends, documentation, research, um, and that should be coming out here pretty soon too. And that, that documents like 120 pages of research about the collegiate space. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to, I'm going to just show people a, um, a clip here. This is from um, local 44, like WFFF, right there. But, uh, but as you can see, they're, they're highlighting um, in uh, Champlain uh, esports arena debuts. And, and just so we, we get an idea here. So there's a, uh, um, just so, so people can get an idea what's going on here, right? Um, wow. So is what we have on screen pretty typical of what you see um, in colleges and in programs? Like the type of seats and equipment and... So those are, those are going to be like, I would say the backed programs. Okay. Um, those to where the university has seen that the students want to compete at the next level and they're willing to invest um, in their students. Um, they're using it as a recruitment and retention tool. Um, they're using it as a means in order to, it's free free publicity for your school and your programs. Um, but to me as a high school teacher, what I see is that now there is a place of belonging for my high school students. Um, I know most of my students that graduated last year um, all at all the universities that they went to after even to the two year colleges, um, they're all looking forward to playing on the esports teams at the next level. And they know that that's the first place to go to um, that they know that they're going to have uh, like minded peers and a place to belong on that campus. So this is this is the point you brought up to me. Um, is this a formal study that you did um, or is this more anecdotal of saying uh, students who participate, for example, in high school esports, it might be the only sport or extracurricular that they have participated in? How did you um, gather that information? 
A lot of mine have has been observation um, from my own program, as well as working with many of the other programs around the state and helping them um, try to identify some of the, the hurdles. Um, I know previously uh, at my, even at just Arrowhead, um, there are a lot of students that I connected with who um, we had students that just moved there and the esports team was their first place to help them connect to their peers at school. Um, I got one nice email from a mom one time saying like, thank you, my my son has friends to eat lunch with now because of esports. Um, it's one of those feel good emails that you get and save on because you, you know, you get some dark days sometimes. So it's nice to have a, a positive one. But um, I've had students that, you know, have had a, they don't have that that adult to connect with um, in order to go ahead and make that that relationship and rapport with. And so just knowing that I can use gaming to connect with that, I can get I can get kids flooding my classroom at 645 in the morning and not leaving until five o'clock every single night if you let them. Um, and so it's just their place of belonging. It's their place to where they have peers. Um, it's just been really beneficial. So, Mike, one of the questions I asked you in August. So I, I contacted um, Mike as I was developing uh, some courses for this fall. I had never spoken before about esports in my classes, and I was learning more about it through just the media. I, I saw Mike's um, name come up in a number of articles in Wisconsin, and it, one of the questions I had for Mike was, you know, let's talk about accessibility. So if you are a student with a disability, um, how does that interface for esports work? And I, I believe you shared a story of a young man, I don't know if he was middle school or high school, who was a or is a quadriplegic, but participates in esports and actually does very well in esports. Um, do you remember that story? Yeah, so uh, his his name was uh, his name was Griff. Um, and he he was wheelchair bound. Um, he had limited mobility in in his one hand, um, but he loves to game. Um, and NHL was his game, and I'm a big hockey guy myself. So we uh, we had in our school store area, we had like a PlayStation or an Xbox hooks hooked up, and the kids would sometimes go in and and during their lunch and study hall, they would they would play a game of NHL or two. Um, and he just always wanted to play and he would always come in and he would talk the most smack out of anybody that I've ever seen. And I would go in, I would, I would not eat my lunch one day here and there. And I would just go in and play NHL with him. And, um, and I, I treated him like everybody else. And I, like, if I scored and I won, I let him know it. I would be like, Whoa, gotcha. Gotcha. I got you with the dangles. And like, so like, it's just how he wanted to be treated. And, and when he won, God, he would, he would let you know, and he would come by my room all the time and be like, Hey, uh, today was three, one, right? God, you suck. And like, just like, then <laughs> just go about his day. But like, that's, you know, those, again, that's just a relationship. Um, I've had a student that had uh, selective mutism okay, and, and the psychologist um, couldn't get him to speak. And he wouldn't speak in class. And he showed up to esports a couple of times. He, he showed up two Fridays in a row. And and on that second Friday, the, the psychologist decided to come and, and check in the room. And he's standing, he's standing on a desk on the other side of the room telling me that I'm trash and that he dominated me. 
and they, they came in and they were just so flabbergasted. They're like, in two weeks, in two Fridays, you've got him to do this. I was like, I didn't do anything. He just kicked my butt at the game and he's letting me know that he's better than me. Like, that's all that this is. And it, it created that just that instant connection with him. And for three years, he was always in my room. Um, and it allowed me to go ahead and, and leverage some of that, too, that that helped me create a relationship as far as attendance and with grades and, and all these other types of uh, tertiary uh, elements to it, but it, it was all because he beat me at a game. So that is that is amazing. And I remember my early days um, as a special education director when iPads were were on the scene, and and students, for example, with autism, um, the school district would provide iPads, and so the student was interacting with the iPad, and the district thought this was like a great thing. Uh, you know, and people be like, you know, look at this interaction, but they were not interacting necessarily with um, other people. So much different than what you've, than what you're talking about. So, um, so this student um, who was participating in esports, um, again, the student who was a quadriplegic, did they have some type of special controller? How did that work? Uh, he he just made do. Um, okay. He, he just used the the normal controller to to the best of his ability. Um, it wasn't up until recently that I learned that we actually have an emerging market. Um, I know there's a couple here in Milwaukee area um, that are working on developing adaptive controllers. Um, Microsoft has a really big initiative in order to help create some of these adaptive controllers to best suit the yeah. needs of, of those students or just people in general. Um, to where I've seen um, that they make uh, certain mouthpieces. There's a there's a player that I watch occasionally on TikTok who um, he controls. He plays Call of Duty and he's really really good and he plays Apex, but he's really good and he plays only using um, a, a mouthpiece and the way that he like moves yeah. it and, and up and down and it moves his character um, and he's able to do all of that through a mouthpiece and he's a higher rank than I am in the games. That is uh, so when you had the mouthpiece and that was that was manufactured by like someplace in Milwaukee or you don't know where it was manufactured or I would have to look it up. I, I'm I drawing a blank off the top of my head, but okay. um I, I know there's there's a handful of like especially when you talk 3D printing, that they're yes. able to create these modifications in order to best suit the needs of the player. Um, whether that's you know limited mobility, I've seen controllers that are are um used for uh, feet um, because they may not have uh, mobility within their hands or functionality within their hands. Um, And, you know, gamers want a game and and where there's a will, there's a way. And with 3D printing, we have a much easier way of making that happen. So I'm going to share a screen to Thingiverse, which I spent some time going through. And this isn't probably the best example, but um, so Thingiverse is to my knowledge, right, is is a place where uh, people can share uh, 3D printed, um, you know, files, and then other people can adapt things, or someone could say, "Hey, like, you know, I'm I'm looking to do this with a controller, um, and maybe make it longer on the side so it can have dampening if a student with MS um, or Parkinson's well, probably wouldn't have Parkinson's, but some neurological is using it. And then other people jump in and say, okay, like, boom, 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 like, here, try this. And what I think is fascinating with this, now this, you know, there are many we could go through, and I spent a lot of time um, in class going through this, but um, 
as, as we go through this, this is something that can happen at the child's school, right? In their high school lab. So this is something actually the student themselves could work on, but as a group within that school, you know, the 3D printing labs are very um, advanced in a lot of schools. And, and to tackle this and to say, hey, you know, like, you know, this student is, is participating on the esports team and uh, we're going to try some things to adapt the controller so it's better for them. That doesn't necessarily have to be outsourced to some place, you know, a thousand miles away. That can be happening in that school. And I think that is phenomenal. Uh, one of my superintendents shared, yeah, we, we totally can do that in our district. Not only could we do it, like we would be on top of that in a heartbeat. There would be, you know, a group of kids and here would be model one, you'd be model two, model three. Well, let's check and kind of do the research. And that can be shared out through Thingiverse and other people can benefit from it. So this is amazing. But as I stop there, um, let's talk about the skills. So I just talked about 3D printing skills, like working, networking, not just in your in your school but across the world networking we talk about skills so i saw a video and and there's some you probably know the name of this student he is referred to as the next al michaels of esports um so i've watched him announce esports and he's phenomenal right um so uh you know we, we have we have skills such as um, announce uh, announcing, uh, such as um, being able to do social media, um, doing the IT side of it, doing post game analysis, doing strategy, and these are skills which are extremely marketable for students as they that they leave high school, right? Um, but tell me about the skill sets that you've seen come about. Maybe some that we don't we don't think about um, when we just, what do we think of esports? Because there, there are all these other components. It's not only the students playing the esports, but there's a there's this circle around them of another layer that's participating, then another layer that's participating maybe on the social media page of this, and then the, you know, the announcers are there. And so tell me about that. So first, let's make sure that we do talk about the skills that they're getting while playing. Right. So being a member of the team, it requires you to, you know, number one, time management, uh, show up on time, uh, hold each other accountable, working on team communication, um, working on how to overcome some of the adversity that they're playing in the game um, and how that they're going to handle some of that stress and, and anxiety. Um, and I think those are those are skills that in year one, just by developing an esports program, those are some of the skills that you're helping these students develop especially when they're under a structured play type environment. Um, you don't necessarily need to know um, the ins and outs of these games, but as educators in the room um, or even parents, I just understanding how to curtail behavior in order to make it more of a positive experience. Yes. Um, setting achievable goals, like goal setting metrics, um, and using some of those in order to show growth um, within the game itself. Um, those are extremely valuable skills for our students. Outside of that, not everybody wants to play the games. However, they still like to be involved because there's cool things that they can do with it. We have um, graphic designers to where we have had students that have actually developed not only our overlays, um, we have a designer for the state of Wisconsin who she helps create all of our match of the week promos She's developing our state championship t-shirts. She's creating the like the finishing place graphics for the, the players that have won and got second place and all of that. Um, she's really, really vital in order to, to help everything run, run smoothly for our organization. Um, I have a 
I'm working on developing a team of broadcasters. Um, you were talking about Andrew there, the future Al Michaels. Yes. Um, he's using esports as his means in order to get experience in broadcasting and journalism. Um, okay. So not only is he doing play-by-play -play commentary, but he's the one, I don't do anything. I just, I have Andrew there. He's, he's our leader. He reaches out to coaches. He schedules the competition. He organizes the lobbies for them to play in. He does, he, he takes about three pages of notes before a game. And he goes in with his prep notes and his talking points that he wants to have. And he actually goes through and does all of his pre-homework on the teams, their backgrounds, their players, their standings, their win losses. Like he goes in no different than we would sit on a on a Sunday morning before kickoff at noon. Right. We watch the pregame show, and Andrew does all of that. Um, we just brought in another student. His name's Henry. Um, he attends a, a, a high school up north. So him and Andrew are now. He is now Al Michaels and John Madden okay. there, um, and and they've never met. They're wow. on opposite ends of the state, and they work together two times a week. They're been doing it for eight weeks now. Um, they're about to get into their first playoffs together, but they okay. just enjoy the the commentary of the game and the more kind of social environment to it as well. Wow. Um, you know, we have we have more that like I want. I have Discord moderators that help moderate our community, um, engage in our community. I would really love to get somebody. Um, that can handle all of our social media. Uh, not that I don't enjoy um, posting and content creation, but um, I don't have the time all of the time in order to uh, put together, you know, some montage video for YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. I don't necessarily have time to to know what's cool slang and then right. like whatever is relevant. I don't just always want to be like, Hey, fellow kids, like, how's it going? Like, what's up? Um, and just, I can, I'm really good at the cringy dad like material. Um, at least so my students tell me, but I just don't have a ton of, of that time in order to do some of that. So trying to find more ways for these students to participate and even it helps them find scholarships. Um, Andrew's already got a scholarship to go do broadcasting at Carthage College um, that he's already helping with already. So That is awesome. Oh, my goodness. And, and you, you shared it. There was a student um, who was on the autism spectrum who received a 60% scholarship to uh, university also. Yep. He was a uh, top 100 in North America at one point for Rocket League. Oh, my goodness. Um, and he got a majority scholarship. It was the first one in the state, to my knowledge. Um and his mother was a huge advocate um, for what esports did for her son, um, how it helped him grow as a, as a young man, develop those social skills. That is oftentimes hard um, for those students that are are on the spectrum. Um, and he, through gaming, he was able to flourish and then showcase his skills and abilities that a lot of his peers were actually very jealous of. Oh my goodness! Wow. Well, good, good for him. Congratulations. And I, I want to point out here from uh, CNT Designs, he said, gaming has got a bad rap for a long time. Then there was Gamergate, and you know, that was insane. So so I think it is. Uh, initially, sometimes people you know, has come into this, um, and, and we need an education point. And if, if you don't change your mind based upon that, that's okay, right? But with anything, we need to understand it and become educated. Visit a school. Visit a random lake 
Wisconsin. Visit Amontello, which is close to where I live, um, and and learn what's happening there with their esports programs. Um, so, oh, that is that is amazing. Um, so we're talking about, you know, the kind of the funding for this in, in schools. You know, I that's one of the things that came up in my class. The schools say we don't have the money to fund esports, um, and I'd be like, we well, don't have, you know, like a thousand, two thousand dollars in your ESSER funds or in your Fund eighty or those type of things. I'm like, wow. I mean, okay, and and so that's something you see. You know, you shared in um, sometimes there's Twitch a channel. Twitch channel affiliate programs. Um, sometimes there's a partnership, Random Lake, Wisconsin partners with Jolly Good Soda for some sponsorship, but um, help us to understand that because really uh, there's a lot of time being put in by coaches um, and, and people who oversee this like you, and really it's not being recognized with the same type of payment that might go to a volleyball coach or football coach or basketball coach, or even someone who's the, the head of the foreign languages club or something like that. So um, I guess, how do you see that as, as both an opportunity and as a, as the barrier? So I think one of the number one things is that if you are able to document your hours, um, and even if you reach out to any of us, um, like there's, there's a coach's channel in our discord server, um, to where people can ask these types of questions, like what is your compensation? Um, you know, how many hours are you actually putting in? Um, I try to make it very transparent uh, to everybody that as far as like what I'm at. Um, so like we practice Monday, we have a varsity match on Tuesday while that team's playing in the other room. My other team is practicing on Wednesday. We have an, uh, another varsity match. And then on Thursday, it's JV and VOD review for the, the teams that played on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we have fun Friday. Um, which is just a casual gaming club to where anybody in the school can come in. So if you run the numbers, then uh, we're done at two thirty-five, and like tonight, I was still at school at four thirty. Uh, that's because we had an early scrimmage as we're getting ready for playoffs. Um, but usually, I'm there until about five o'clock. Um, so you're talking about two and a half hours after school, uh, four days a week for me. Uh, my other uh, coach stays after on Fridays because he lives in town. So he allows me to, to leave a little bit early, but I mean, so we're having, you know, uh, 10 hours between four days that we're there after school. And oh my we, goodness. Wow. We're in season. Um, because again, I love this and I love working with these students to help them develop, but I'll potentially be doing this for 10 months out of the year. And oh my so, goodness. I'm I'm on I'm a very privileged and lucky person that my school supports this. Right. Um, that me and the other advisor are split at like forty one hundred dollars, which is the equivalent of of our athletics. And if you look at the numbers, we share basically the same amount of hours as our basketball and our volleyball coaches. Um, when you talk about practice and game time and, and all these other things that we need to do. Um so, I mean, time-wise, for funding, for you as an advisor, coach, GM, whatever you want to call your position that's helping oversee your program, you we just got to be able to justify it. And you can do that through documentation. Um, as far as raising funds for your program, there, there are a lot of local opportunities in your community. There's a lot of uh, local companies that I'm sure have no problem kicking in 100 to $200 here and there 
um, whether that's donating for, for microphones or, or webcams right. or even jerseys, let them slap that logo on there on the jerseys. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's the community helping that program as well. Um, we just had uh, the local pizza place. We ran a charity tournament for the children's hospitals of Wisconsin. November uh, 5th. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, awesome. and they donated um, like 50 bucks worth of pizza. And so we got to use that as a fundraiser as well, that we sold it for like a dollar a slice and uh, two bucks a slice, whatever it was. And, and we raised uh, 150 bucks for our program. Um, we eventually raised a, an additional like $350 for the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Um, yeah, we use Twitch. Uh, we got the affiliate status because we stream our matches as well. Um, we actually just got our first payout of $65 for a month. All right. Um, and, and everybody's, if you have Amazon prime, you get a free monthly Twitch sub and it costs you nothing. And it donates $2 and 50 cents to a program of your choosing. So, um, it's an email that I've sent out to all students and staff and it's not much, but every month we can make $65 off nothing from you. It's free for you. So that has to go, though, into an account. And you shared with me that not all schools have in their budgets a line item where if esports team is generating um, some revenue, right, that that can come into the school. So maybe talk about that. So this this revenue can be generated, but if the school doesn't have in their in Wisconsin, it's called WUFAR, W-U-F-A-R. It's, it's an accounting system. Um, it becomes a problem. So, so but, yeah, I, I just essentially asked our superintendent if we can create a, a, an account for us through w whatever local bank that they're using for additional funding, uh, similar to like some of our booster club money um, to where it's it's still associated with us, but it's just a different account. And that's to my knowledge, that's all that 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 we got. Um, okay. You, you can run it through a, a PayPal account as well. Yes. Um, because it's coming tax free. Um, that, that we did have to provide our, our EIN and, and that when we right. filled out the documentation. So right. it's all there. Um, just like I do for the state of Wisconsin that, yeah, we filled out our EIN and all that, that payout materials there. Um, just created the account. I got the approval from the school. Sometimes the school can actually spin you up an account uh, where it's like PayPal at, you know, Elkhorn.org or whatever. And so that way it's not you being the only one that's in charge of it, that the IT can also monitor that account too. Oh, that is, that is amazing. That is amazing. So there's a couple of things I want to, to hit on here. So we are going to end the show um, at the, at the 70 minute mark. So, so we've covered just, Outstanding, outstanding points uh, so far. Um, so, you know, just kind of a recap of, of where we're at. One is that, you know, this is growing across the country, not only um, in the, the middle school, high school level, but in post-secondary and then po it's clubs, you know, which are, are developing at a recreation level for this. Um, school boards, some boards say, no, we're not into um, esports because of the use of uh, a weapon or violence in games, kind of a zero tolerance thing. Uh, so if that's happening, then my position very overtly to the aspiring school leaders has been, you need to revisit that with your school board. Um, and again, I kind of take a parallel of saying, you know, we have we have uh, trap shooting has increased um, sharply throughout the uh, the country. And I'm going to try to bring that graphic up here in just a just a moment. 
Um, and I think the same argument which un unravels um, esports um, is the argument that would potentially unravel skeet shooting, for example, but yet that seems to be pretty prevalent in our schools. Um, how students with disabilities have access um, to sports and how uh, controllers can be modified for students with disabilities, really some pretty amazing stuff. So let me see if I've, I've got it right here. So, nope. Hey, so for those of you wondering, like back up your files. So Mike, I didn't do this on my podcast and you wouldn't believe what happened. I lost the hard drive. And then, um, yeah, that was very sad because I, I ended up losing a lot of my, a lot of my shows. So now I'm having to regenerate them off of downloads here from YouTube and Podbean and, that's been less fun than what you would certainly imagine, but uh, I think I would say I'm just about to migrate over a new <laughs> to a new PC. So I know exactly. I, I spent like an hour yesterday transferring files to an external hard drive, so I can yep be ready it, to migrate. It was my external drive which which died, and then I thought I had it on my original drive, but the summer upgrade to Windows 10. And long story short, it's not good. But um, so let's look at this real quick. This is skeet shooting or clay target shooting across the country. So I'd like to put this slide up because I think it parallels what's happening with esports. When I talk to school districts and they'll they'll lament and say, you know, we don't have people, we don't have students trying out for track anymore and or it's getting too prohibitive to play football because of a cost of, you know, $500 for football pads and helmet and other expenses and field rental or ice, you know, hockey things like this. Here for this is this is Clay Target League. And I, I had a guest on on my channel to talk about this about a couple of months ago. But you know, three three teams in 2007, 2008, now 2020, 22, 1,466 teams in 34 states. So this type of hockey stick growth, I think, is similar to what is happening in esports. Um, so that's where I, I you know dig in with districts, and if they say, oh, we don't have we don't have esports, right, because of um, perceived violence in the game or just a misconception of, of what esports is, but we do have, uh, you know, skeet shooting team. I'm like, like, there's your, there's an entry point to come back and, and to have the discussion. Why did you prove one and not the other? Um, so I, I just think those are two areas which are rapidly increasing across the country at a time when some other sports just are not keeping up that, that steam. Um, and again, both are, are extremely, um, inclusive. Um, so well, I guess, I, I guess to your point there too, just to, to yeah. butt in, but you know, we're seeing a, a change in societal values as well, as far as, um, protecting our children, you know, the, the number of parents that are starting to steer away from contact football, because the more data that keeps coming out about CTE and gray matter being developed in our students from some of these high contact sports. Um, as well as then also seeing the data to where we we actually want to encourage students to play, you know, two to three different physical sports in order to help preventative in, uh, injuries um, that if they only specialized in one, that they could actually increase their chances of, of potentially lifelong damages that they're doing even at a young age. So um I think it's just a shift as more data and science comes out as far as how can we protect our, our students. Um, we just have to find alternative ways of, of finding involvement for them. 
that's a, a fascinating a fascinating point um you know the more we're learn, learning about uh, these sports um and so we have we have a super chat it's from uh cnt designs um he uh is also he also uh, works in in plasma cut designs and he had just shared that he worked with a student on doing a plasma or a cnc kind of like you know 3d not 3d printing but um uh, plasma cutting that goes into 3D software. It's really complicated stuff, but he's, uh, Coop here is a is a follower of the show. Um, Coop says, I'll say that many people don't understand esports and not playing games like Modern Warfare is insane. So yeah, I'm I'm th thankful that you uh, shared that, Coop. And I, I do, I pick up on this. And as, as Mike has shared, right, I think it's a misperception. And it's, it's when people make a misperception, they go, boom, I'm not going to go any further with it. I don't want to know what's happening in Random Lake or Montello or Racine. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about the, the student who has a scholarship because he's a narrator or not narrator. He's a, co a commentator, right, for esports. And, and like, okay, like that kid's doing just more than, you know, he's taking three pages of notes. He's doing analytics. He's doing, I mean, this is amazing stuff, right? And, and think of like all of the doors that open up to him, whether he becomes um, working as communications for a Fortune 500 company or, I mean, wherever it goes, like it's just amazing. But it, it's, you know, we kind of lost that. We lost this whole thing of debate and trying to understand um, other other positions and things getting stereotyped. So Coop, you're, I think you're, you're right on. Thanks for, for and sharing I got, that. I got one comment on this one too. Yes. Is so there's there's one thing that is vastly different between traditional sports and esports. And number one thing is that you're working with somebody's intellectual property. And because they own it, they can dictate how and who and in what fashion that they play your game. So for example, if you're looking at modern warfare. Modern Warfare is an M-rated game. So even though some school districts would choose to go ahead and use it because there is college and pro opportunities. However, Modern Warfare has actually shut down multiple high school leagues because they don't want anyone under the age of 17 playing the game in a structured form like that. Oh, wow. And so there's an interesting wrinkle in there is that they can actually step in and provide you with a cease and desist letter and shut down your league operating in the way that it does because they don't want a potential liability themselves for the same reason that there are some school districts that don't want a liability issue. Wow. I didn't know about that. And, and um, let's move to, to Ron Wayne again, um, a, a friend of the show. They call him the Kentucky Batman. I don't know if you've heard about that, you know, where you're at, um, you know, more toward Lake Michigan, but, uh, but Mike, they call this guy, the Kentucky Batman, Ron Wayne. He's saying what it is. He's asking, what is the most popular esports game? So he's saying great show by the way, but, uh, but he wants to know what's, what's the most popular esports game out there. So if you're talking, yeah. So I think it really depends. Um, if you're looking at kind of like my age group, um, so I'm, I'm about 35. Um, we look a lot at the the rocket leagues and the league of legends, uh, even CSGO. They've been established for years. Um, the new real up-and-coming titles are, are Valorant is definitely very new on the scene, but taking the taking it by storm. Um, Smash Brothers has a huge dedicated following. Um, it kind of depends on what game that you're interested in um, and the type of genre that's being played. 
Like even Fortnite is still very, very large with like our middle school and early high school students. Um, and then you could even break that even down further and ask like by council, uh, is it PC or is it Xbox? Is it PlayStation? Because each of them all have different demographics as far as popularity and titles go. It's a really crazy, crazy uh, breakdown. Okay. So Smash Brothers, Valorant, like those would be some of the big ones that yep. we'd be hearing out there. So, okay. So, wow. Um, so with, with, thank you so much, Ron Wayne. Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question because, right? I mean, when people bring this up to me or, or would have brought this up to me before I talked to Mike, I'd be like a Madden, <laughs> I don't know, like MLB soccer or MLB, you know, Major League Baseball or, or you know, some, something that would be, I didn't know. I, I just didn't know. Um, so that is, that is amazing. Um, so, um, let's let's uh, hear a good friend, Mike McClune, who's as we talk about, you know, engineering too. This is this is Mike is is into that. I mean, this this is his area of engineering and customizing things out. Interesting topic. Um, I'll have to watch. The, oh, so just a shout out here, just an appreciation to the show. So, Mike, thanks so much. Um, but yeah, Mike is one of the people making what we're talking about possible through the um, ingenuity of engineering to customize things out. So that is really awesome. Um, and we just, so I talked earlier about uh, Phil Heinrich. So we, we have Phil here. Phil's in Germany right now as he's commenting. And Phil was the one that sent me the, the pictures from the esports uh, competition. I think in Denmark, Phil, is where you're at. The esports commentators I know are so deep into technology, crazy to ditch this as child's play or siphon for losers. So he's, he's just... Yeah, uh, so I, I think this is this is amazing. So um, yeah, thank you so much, uh, you know, Phil, for for sharing that. So I have a couple of questions here. So oh, first of all, um, I shared that I I was an administrator at the Wisconsin School for the Blind um, through in, in the late two thousands, and I was surprised because um, students who are visually impaired who had lost all or some vision were very into. Um, video games. And that would be something that people probably wouldn't think. There wasn't a gaming league at that time, but it, they're very into that. Um, and and so, you know, this whole thing of inclusion and where you're able to bring students in. I also wanted to share some very good news here on, on the front for everybody. Um, I still participate in the Fantasy Football League at the Wisconsin School for the Blind. And my team, the Seeks, are seven and three. They will be eight and three after this weekend. So, I'm just sharing it's a close-knit group here, and the Meeseeks will continue to be. We won the league last year. It's a tough league down there with 40 Broncos, 65, and Kane attacks and Mojo's an awesome teacher. Uh, but, yeah, so the Meeseeks are going to improve to to 8-3. and three. So uh, just had to – just an update was coming across the banner here. Um, tell us about what people can find here, though. This is the Wisconsin High School um, eSports website. So – you know, if you're directing people to this site, Mike, what what should they be able to find? Uh, so number one, um, if you're interested in learning more, definitely top right of how to start a program. Um, so if you go up onto that, um, yep. Um, on there, we have a new advisor checklist and I apparently forgot to change the permission on the new document that I uploaded. Okay. So thanks, I need to go ahead and do that. Um, but where it shows that, that document should actually be um, an entire guide to anybody that's looking, at least in the state of Wisconsin, um, that if they want to participate, 
Um, I kind of provided an outline of number one, what our titles are, um, what seasons that they run in, how many that you need. And if you refresh the page that it should be good to go now. Um, but even if you scroll down to the, to the later parts of it, um, we have all of the IT material as well, as far as PC requirements, uh, website whitelisting, port forwarding, and any other documentation that you may need. Um, so this is usually the first step that I give to a, a teacher or admin that's coming to me is like, this is kind of your basic guide okay. um, to, to what needs to get going. Um, we had a graduate student create that presentation that you see there to the right. Um, that's essentially just like uh, how to coach this. Um, I'm constantly working on some of this material too in order to, to update some of this, but it's just kind of the first steps. He created this for a graduate school program. This is well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he, he just kind of went through is looking at all the needs, oh my goodness. Wa ways that you can get involved with different strategies that you can do, where to find some of the games, so on and so forth. So it's... Um, yeah, it, it was quite a comprehensive list. Um, and even then, too, if you go back to the website, if you go up on the top right there to resources, um, here's just kind of a, a guide of everything. So we have our rules and regulations. Um, I have some coaches resources there, which puts it into a little bit more of a visual form. If you keep scrolling down, we have everything of like, how to set up lobbies, wow. how to start streaming, how to use Discord. Um, I have another one that I still need to upload, and it's like um, uh, coaching esports, coaching the player versus coaching the game, and what does that look like? Um, ways of connecting it to curriculum, curriculum resources. Like I try to make it to where everything is out there and available to anyone. Um, I don't really... I, I'm not specific to the state of Wisconsin. I'm I'm really just here in order to help create this opportunity for more students, um, because I think that's the most valuable component of all of this is just creating value to them. So you mentioned curriculum, and I, I want to touch on this before before we wrap the show up. Um, the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, I believe you shared, is considering developing a curriculum for esports. Can you tell us what you know about that? So I know that it's starting to pop up. Uh, there are 96 colleges that actually have an esports major, um, right, including UW. Well, UW Parkside has an introductory class here in Wisconsin, first one this fall. So awesome! Yep, they're starting to come up with some technical certificates that are in order to try to help better understand the ecosystem, uh, the local infrastructure, and and how people may want to get into this industry as it continues to boom. Um, I'm I'm not so much for uh, like a four-year degree specializing it, in it. Um, I really think it's valuable to use what we're already doing in the trap in the classroom and just show how those skills are transferable. Um, so, like if you take a sports and entertainment marketing class, it it's no different. It just applies to esports. It's just video games and it's not traditional sports. Um, video production, broadcasting, journalism, blogging. Um, graphic design, web design, like all of it is is stuff that we already do in the classroom. We're just using esports as the medium to demonstrate our mastery of the content that we learned in the class. Wow, that is that is amazing. As 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 we as we ask the final question here, so you said you know as we as we prep for the show, there's a little there's some controversy right now in the esports community. Um, 
and can you can you shed some light on on what's happening with that? So in this space, it is still very new. There are a lot of uh, players in the game that are trying to capitalize off of it and, and make money. And I I don't fault them for wanting to do that. But understanding when you're getting into the scholastic space that there are requirements and restrictions that go into place when you're working with minors. So doing our due diligence as, as teachers, IT, superintendents, we need to know who potential board members are, what data is being collected, who has access to that data, how is it being used, um, what kind of business dealings are being made, like are there, excuse me, um, you know, we've, we've, we've had some companies that we know that are um, even backed in other states to where some of their funding came from from legal marijuana in their state. Oh and, my goodness! And, okay, yeah. And, and so, like, if you don't do a little bit of your digging, like, you're not going to know that about that company. That company's just going to say, like, "Hey, we have this turnkey solution, and it sounds great on paper, but what else is there?" Like, we just have to do our our diligence in order to to make sure that the platform is safe not only for our students but their data in order for us to maintain compliance. Um, even some of these titles, talk to your district, read the actual terms of service agreements, as fun as that sounds. Right. But right. we have we have some districts that say, you know, we do not allow any uh, digital signals coming from Singapore. Okay. And, and we found that there was one of the games that it would, through the current browser that it was in, or the launcher that it was coming from, it uh, was sending messages to Singapore. Okay. And the school said, you cannot play that game anymore. We have a zero tolerance policy for any digital traffic coming from Singapore. That is amazing. And so to your question or statement earlier about how that number changes, those are things that arise during the school year that we're like, oh, I didn't know that that was a problem. And they're like, yeah, it's a problem. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Like, and so... We do try to find wiggle room around some of them and ways in order to make it work. But sometimes it's just, it's all of a sudden a no-go. Policies change as school districts change. And then all of a sudden, those students can't compete as part of their school team or can't even compete in the game anymore. Wow. Um, and I, I, would, I would assume that would be extremely um, disheartening, I mean, to have that happen, um, to suddenly... You know, be the, the whole thing with Singapore. That's interesting because I'm I'm trying to figure out like what other content for a school comes from Singapore bounces off of a server or something that they might be using, you know, for anything. Right? It, it just it seems pretty. Um, it, it, that that seems <laughs> it it seems unusual, right? When I am hearing that, um, so. I'm posting the link right here, and it's also in our posted chat. But let me do this: um, Wisconsin a school. Um, here's the official website, and again on that website, Mike went through some of that with us: uh, how you can obtain information specific to um, esports. Not only Wisconsin, right? This is across the country. If you are a parent and you're interested in having your um, you know, school district learn more about esports. I can tell you in Wisconsin, my experience has been uh, very positive with this. And one of my superintendents, Mike, um, said, 
Dave, I believe that in five years, all schools in Wisconsin will have esports. I think the benefit is so overwhelming. And I think the discussion between superintendents at superintendent conferences and, and through our, our networks, right, as we get together, that word is going to continue to get out. And with the school boards, and he, and he just said, I see this in five years, every school has this. I, I'm so passionate about this. And I said, I'm great. It's great news because, you know, you know, esports, we have access. Well, a few things we have, we have access uh, for for more students. We don't have a high cost of barrier for um, entry if you're a student, right? You're not having to buy a lot of expensive equipment. Um, it can be a mixed gender sport. Um, it also has high accessibility for students with disabilities. So, so many things. And when schools, when I talk about as schools produce their Title IX reports, their non-discrimination reports, I said, eSports is your friend in these arenas, plus just being great for kids. We know in closing here, the Centers for Disease Control, um, the CDC does studies on school connectedness. And if you are involved in one extracurricular activity, um, it correlates to higher academic performance, um, greater attendance and fewer discipline events. So esports is is incredible, it's important. And I think it's this education part. And again, Mike, you were terrific with helping me. I put together a, a document after I interviewed um, Mike and, and I said, would you look this over? And he, he did. And, and, you know, it was good to go. I got it out to my aspiring school leaders this fall. And, and they were like, this is, there's nothing like this out there. You know, the things that we talked about today, like it's not talked about at their state conferences. They, no one is, is addressing this. And I said, you know, so I'm glad I, you know, I can make 25 people aware of it. 25 people can make another 25 people and pretty soon, it goes around and I'm encouraging um, one of my superintendents where they do have esports, And I said, you need to present at a state level, you know, knock on everybody's door and say, we want to do a breakout on how this has benefited our students who's participating, um, how we address this to the board, questions from the community and boom and go for it. And I know you're doing you're doing massive amount of, of advocacy for this, Mike. So I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the time that you you gave us tonight. Any anything you want to say in closing? Uh, I'm always willing in order to have this conversation. So never be afraid to reach out to me. And if you have questions, that's what I'm here for. So thanks for having me tonight. Good, good. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much for for being um, a guest on the show. Um, you know, thank you for uh, you know for. I'm going through here uh, for Coop and for Ron Wayne, uh, for Mike, for the super chats and just the, the terrific questions we had from everybody um, in here from Uke, uh, Misty, Mrs. Wayne Bolo. Um, so um, in in five minutes, Spambot Fodder. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much. Uh, we I am going to um, you know come back with a, a follow up um, show in about five or, or ten minutes, but I'm going to uh, take us out of this one. And uh, so, um, just a second here. Look at all these tech skills that I that I've learned here with uh, with my my stream here. But uh, all right, I am uh, going to lead us on the the way out. So you're like, okay, Doc. I'm like, I'm working on it. I'm almost there. Okay, here we go. All right, thanks everybody. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident, and what should people do to protect themselves? 
Dr. David P. Perodin teaches you how to prevent mental burnout by observing indicators and building a robust member check network. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information will empower its readers. Drawing on current events, history, interviews, and scholarship, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change in this fast-spinning world. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. There are teachable moments on every page. By the Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer.